Praise the Lord. If you have your Bible, you will want to use it this morning. We will be in Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2. We will have a lot of scriptures here from the book of Nehemiah. And as I said, we'll use our Bibles or electronic device, however you want to follow along for our main text. And then the ones that are scattered throughout, we'll try to keep up on the screen. Nehemiah chapter 2 in verse number 18 is going to be our text verse this morning, but we'll take a minute and give a little bit of background before we get there. The title of the message this morning is God's work is a good work. God's work is a good work. And that's where we're going to get to and what I want to focus on this morning. So what I want to try to do is not attempt to preach the entire book of Nehemiah all at once, but to give us a little bit of background before we start looking at the scriptures and going through it. If you know the book of Nehemiah, you know the story in chapter 1 is that God's people had been carried away, Jerusalem had been ransacked by the Babylonians, and much of their country had been carried off captive while some were left behind. And as Nehemiah was living in Persia, he received word that the wall around the city of Jerusalem had been broken down, it was burned, and the city was laid waste. A wall was very important in those days. It was what protected them from the invading armies and the walls being broken down were a sign that they had been conquered, that they had lost. Proverbs says that a man who can't control his own spirit is no better than a city that is without walls. In the day that that was written, people were understanding that if you were writing and saying a city that had no walls, it was a city that had been conquered, a city that was defenseless. In chapter 1, verses 4 through 11, we see the response of Nehemiah. He fasted and he prayed. And therein is a great principle that before we attempt to build a great work for God, which is what God called Nehemiah to do, he was the builder. He went home and was used of God to restore and rebuild that wall that before we attempt to go forward and to build something great for God, we need to pray. We need to fast. We need to seek God's face. Whatever we try to do in our flesh, if God does not choose to bless it, it's not going to do any good at all. Spiritual or not spiritual, if we attempt to do things in our flesh and God does not bless, we will fail. He fasted, he prayed, he wept, and in his prayer he confessed the national sins of the nation of Israel and said, Oh God, we have been rebellious, we have fleed from thee, we know that we deserve this punishment, but we ask you for mercy anyway. And then in chapter 1, I believe verse 8 and 9, he reminded God of his promises. Therein is a great promise that he pulled back all the way to what God told Moses. And he said, oh God, please have mercy on us. We know that we're sinners. We know that we are wrong. But you promised to Moses that if your people sinned, you would come and you would scatter them and punish them. But you also promised that then you would come and regather them, though they had been scattered unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And there is a prophecy that will be fulfilled in the end times, not to change subjects, but I believe in Matthew chapter 24, the language that it uses of God's chosen being gathered from the four winds of the earth. There's about 10 different Old Testament scriptures where God says, though the nation of Israel has been scattered all throughout the earth, he will go and will gather them again to 
Jerusalem and they will dwell there safely free of enemies. So a lot of people have pointed to 1948 when Israel became a nation again. And they said, see, the prophecy is being fulfilled. God is gathering his people from all over the world and he's making them a nation again. And I do believe it factors into prophecy for we see the nation of Israel being prominently focused upon during the end times. It is called a time of Jacob's trouble, which would be the nation of Israel. The prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, I believe, that talks about Daniel's 70-week prophecy where the final week factors right into Revelation 13 and Matthew 24 and the abomination of desolation. He says that to Daniel that 70 weeks have been determined upon thy people and the holy city. So Jerusalem and the nation of Israel is the focus. And it's one of the reasons why I personally believe the church won't be here during the tribulation period for the focus is not on the church, but rather on the nation of Israel being persecuted. And as someone said, if you have a different opinion on that, I'll go have a burger with you either way. I'm not here to fuss at you, but I personally believe the church is not going to be here. I don't think that we're appointed unto that time of wrath. I believe it's a time of Jacob's trouble, but he points to that in Nehemiah 1, 8 and 9. And he says, God, remember your promises. It's just such a great example. This book is so straightforward. It preaches itself in a lot of ways. But before we start to build an attempt to do something for God, we want to fast. We want to pray. We want to weep. We want to confess our sins. And then when we pray, remind God of his promises. God is not annoyed when we remind him of what he promised. He is honored. We go to him not telling him what to do, but saying, God, you promised you would hear your people when we cry unto you. I cry unto you today. God, I know that you're a God of great character. I know that you cannot lie. So I just want to remind you, you said you would hear me when I pray. And I know that you will. As the book carries on and the story goes into chapter two in verses one through four. He was the king's cupbearer and he was sad before the king for the first time. That was a dangerous thing to do. If you came in as someone who had been captured as a slave and worked for the king and you were in his presence all sad, you never know what the king, what kind of mood he might be in. He could have you sent back to the, the gulag or, uh, or have your head chopped off. He had that power. But as he's there in front of the, the king and his countenance is sad, the king asks him, what's wrong, Nehemiah? What's going on? And we find there in chapter two, he sends up what some have called a flare prayer. It says before he answered the king, the king said, what's the matter? And before the words came out of his mouth, he said, I prayed unto the God of heaven and God will hear you when you pray. That shouldn't be the only time we ever pray as we look up and see the cars running the red light and say, oh, God, help me. But if that's the only time you have to pray, God hears those prayers. And he prayed to the God of heaven and the king heard his burden. And he said, oh, king, I've heard a report that the walls of my city are broken and are burned down. My heart is broken and God's people, my people are vulnerable. And all who come by our enemies mock us. And they say, see, their God did not provide unto them. I need to go back and rebuild the wall. Would you allow me to do this? I may be adding a couple words that weren't in there, but it's the gist. I promise. Read it later. The king gave him favor. His prayer was answered. And the king said, I'm going to allow you to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall. And I'm going to give you a order from the king, a special letter. And if anyone gives you trouble, show him the letter, show him the seal of the king, and you'll have freedom to go do the work that your God is calling you to do. Another rabbit trail, but the prophet Daniel said that from the going forth to rebuild the wall until the destruction of the temple would be approximately 
483 years, if I'm remembering the math correctly. And if you study out history, the scripture was absolutely fulfilled. And the only other time that's missing is the final week that Daniel prophesied. The last seven years, and those are yet to come. If you want to hear more about that, there's a series on RenewalBaptistChurch.com under the Sermons tab that's entitled Daniel's 70-Week Prophecy. It's a good listen. You should go home and check it out. But I was just interested to be reminded that the book of Nehemiah had a couple of tie-ins to the end-time prophecies, both from the book of Daniel and then from him reminding God of his promises that wherever Israel was scattered, they would be regathered together again. As chapter 2 continues on, Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem. He's been there for three days and hasn't yet spoken up to tell the people who went with him or the people of that city why he was there. There was a couple of things he had to get through. He had to get the king's approval. Now he has to get everybody on board. God works through leadership. But if people aren't willing to follow and participate, then leadership does no good at all. The best of leadership is ineffective leadership if people aren't willing to follow it. So the other way to say it would be the only thing that can possibly allow leadership to be effective is people who humble themselves and follow. And that goes to the credit of the followers, not to the credit of the leader, for a leader can't make anyone do anything. He goes out at night and he takes a ride and he surveys the damage and he looks around and the plan is formulating in his mind of how they're going to rebuild this wall. And then he decides to speak up as his heart burns within him. And we'll take our text from Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 17 and 18. Then said I unto them, ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we may be no more a reproach. Verse 18. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. The response was positive. They listened to Nehemiah. They bought in. They were willing to do it, believing that it was the will of God, not just a vision of Nehemiah. And they said, we're in. Let's rise up and build. We're ready to go to work. And then verse 18, the writer says, they strengthened their hands for this good work. And number one, the first point of the message this morning, the work God calls us to do is a good work. I want to take a minute and say I understand when I read the Old Testament and I read about Israel and I read about the building of the wall. It's a different dispensation and it's not exactly the same as the New Testament church. I understand all of that, but I also see the parallels completely there between the nation of Israel and between the New Testament church. And I see the parallels of Nehemiah saying, I'm going to do what God has called me to do by building this wall. This is not just my idea. This is God's idea. And it's a good work. And I can see the parallel to the work that God has called us to do. God has called us to do many things in our life. And whatever it is that God has called us to do, if it's something that God has told us to do, it is a good work. When you're home parenting your children, it may seem like a mundane task. 
But those are the children that are eternal souls that the future of the nation and the church depends upon. And it is not a menial task or a waste of time for a mother to raise up her children or for a father to lay aside his duties and to take time to speak into their life and try to build them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's a good work. It's the work that God has called us to do, working to provide either working to provide for your family or even for yourself. The Bible says there is profit in all labor. And we live in a generation and a time where a lot of people echo sentiments that have been there all throughout time. Oh, well, that's just, it's a terrible thing to be in a capitalistic society and to have to spend your life working for an employer. And they're just trying to keep us down. And what we really need to do is elect some people who will take money away from people who have more than me and give it back to me. And work is just a terrible way to spend your time. But the word of God tells us that there is profit in all labor. The word of God tells us that if a man doesn't work, then neither should he eat. And if a man provide not for his own, he is worse than an unbeliever. And he has denied the faith. And when you have to go to work Monday morning, just realize that God has called us to work hard. God has called us to be a light and to be salt and to take the torch of the gospel and have a good testimony in the name of Jesus Christ outside of the four walls of the church. And if you can work with people 40 hours a week, 52 weeks out of the year and maintain a good testimony, that's a pretty good opportunity to influence people for Jesus Christ. Brother Jason's been speaking in Sunday school about the call of God to be a witness to those about us and how there's a lot of different ways that we can do that, how we can be a good testimony, how when people speak to us, we can take the opportunity to represent Christ and to be a Christian. And I believe it, that I've tried to take the smallest of steps that when I'm talking about something to someone who's not saved or in the workplace about things that are going good or things that are going right, I'll try to say, praise God, it worked out. I'll try to say, God's been good to me on this one. I want to be a good witness for Jesus Christ. And yesterday, as I was working at the post office and carrying a package to the door, this older man said, he said, bless you. He said, I'm 83 years old. He said, I don't know if, if you'll get to make it to my age. He said, the world's all messed up right now. And I don't always do this, especially on the clock. But I said, boy, I hear you. I said, it sure is a mess. And I said, I don't know about you, but I choose to put my faith in Christ. And I just try not to worry about the rest. Do the best that we can. And he shook my hand and he said, I do too. You see, we can be a witness for Christ by trying to lead someone all down the salvation plan. But we also can be a witness to Christ in small ways by not being ashamed to be associated with his name and speaking up for Christ whenever we do. And the way that I'll probably apply this the most this morning is the collective effort to carry out the work of the church. Just as Nehemiah had been called physically to build a wall and it was a good work, it was the work of God, it was tied into the protection and blessing of the people of God. So too, I believe the work of the New Testament church is a good work. It's a biblical work. It's what we have been called to do by Jesus Christ. And we believe that as a church, we work, we push forward together. We don't just pay a few people off to live for Christ for us. Yes, we give of our offerings, but we also take it upon our ourselves to work as we're able to witness for Christ. And the goal is that everyone could be on the same page, pushing in the same direction. The Bible says in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit was given in the day of Pentecost, that they all were in one place of the same mind being in one accord. 
That is the goal for the New Testament church. That though as I spoke about some issues during announcement times earlier and talked about Easter and all these different things, there may be some doctrines and some teachings and some things, the end time prophecies where we may have different opinions. But as a church body, we realize what's most important. We set those things aside. And the goal is that throughout the attacks of Satan from within and without, which we'll talk about this morning, by the way, that we would have unity and that we could be on the same page and push in the same direction for the glory of God and seek that souls would be saved and that the church would be built. I understand what Jesus said to Peter. He told Peter that Jesus said upon this rock, speaking of himself, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Someone might ask, what's your plan, pastor, to build the church? And the best I've tried to say is my plan is for us to try and obey the word of God. Yes, work hard and be as creative as we can be. But we want to be biblical. We want to obey the word and trust that God will build his church in his time as he sees fit. But just as Jesus said that he would build the church, he also said that he has called us to labor. Some of the scriptures, I think I've crowded a little bit up there this morning. I'm going to try and spread them out a little bit more as we go forward. Hopefully you can see most of them. But Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38, Jesus told his disciples, verse 36, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Verse 37 of Matthew 9, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. There's verse 37 and 38. Pray that the Lord would send forth laborers into his harvest. He was talking about the souls of men and women. He was talking about the work of the ministry. And he said the harvest is plenteous. It's not that there aren't any crops to go get. It's not that there aren't any souls to be reached. But the laborers are few. And he calls us as part of the New Testament church to do what? To be a laborer. To do what they did in the book of Nehemiah. To rise up and to build Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. And he gave some apostles, prophets. It goes on to list the different offices there of the church. And verse 12 says that the purpose that God gave them for was for the perfecting of the saints and for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The Greek word, therefore, work, when he said the work of the ministry means an act, toil, doing labor or work. God has called us to be in his service and we trust that he will build the church, but we also understand that he has called us to work and he has called us to labor. And as I said, I understand the book of Nehemiah is not the New Testament church, but the parallels are there. God has called us to go, to rise up and to build. And we must strengthen our hands for the work that God has called us to do. And God's work is a good work. I want to say this morning, praise God for the church. Praise God for the New Testament church of Jesus Christ. I understand that most of the time that the news covers what's going on in church, or most of the time when we hear about what happened at another church, it's something negative. 
and we're in a world of sinners and all that are involved in every church everywhere are broken, sinful people. The leaders are sinners. And sometimes there's sin and there's scandal that gives the church a bad name and that gives a bad name to the cause of Jesus Christ. And I know that there's a lot of negativity that goes on. And I know that there's a lot of unhealthy churches and unbiblical preaching. And I understand that some people have been hurt in church. And I know that churches are not perfect. But I want to say... Praise God for the church because the stories that don't get covered on the news and the stories that we don't see being talked about are when someone comes to church and they hear the gospel and they believe in Jesus Christ and they're baptized and they begin to follow him and be made a disciple. And church is still God's plan. I believe with all of my heart that the New Testament local church is not my plan or your plan, but I believe that we found it in the word of God, that it's biblical, that a group of born again believers who have been saved and baptized come together and follow the leadership and the preachers and the, the servants of the church. And they say, we want to get on the same page and have a place where we can come to fellowship with one another, to be a part of one another's lives, to know when there's a burden in the church, to know when there's a prayer request that needs to happen, that from time to time we're in each other's homes, we're sharing meals, we're doing life together like they did in the book of Acts. And that we have a place where we can come to hear the teaching and preaching of the word of God and to worship him and to sing praises to his names and to ask God to use us as a collective body to reach out to the community and the whole world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the church is a good place. The church is a good work. As I said, every church has imperfect people and every church is full of sinners but God has chosen to carry out his work of edifying the saints, of giving us a home and a place to belong to, and of evangelizing the world. I believe the scripture teaches that God has chosen the local New Testament church to do that work. There's a man who some in my family had met and was friendly with, and he had a podcast that I started following. He lives in another state, and the whole thing was about why everything basically we do in the modern-day church is wrong and doesn't fit the Bible. And I understand there may be some things that aren't spelled out exactly in the Bible where we have liberty to do them, but I do believe that the way we're attempting to carry out church is biblical. And his idea was that ever, come, ever having a church building or ever having a staff member, that those things weren't biblical. And the only right way to do church would be as if we met in a living room and everyone had turns to talk and share rather than one person preaching and expositing the word of God. And hey, I appreciate whoever looks at the Bible and comes to a conclusion that at least is trying to do something. We may have disagreements, but I know that I have brothers and sisters in Christ who believe differently than I do. But a lot of negativity he had towards the, the church. But as he gave his testimony, he said he got saved in a church that was operating the way that most churches do. A church that had a building, a church that had staff members, a church that was reaching out to the community. He was invited to, he found place there and he was saved. And the truth of the matter is that most people who come to know the Lord, most people who grow spiritually, it happens because they were reached by a local church. And I believe this morning that this church is a good place. 
It's not a perfect place. And I'm not here trying to sing our own praises. But I believe that it's a good place. And I believe that we're trying to do a good work that God has called us to do. And to the best of our ability, we're going to push forward. And I don't believe it's a waste of time to come sit on a pew on Sunday morning. I don't believe it's a waste of time to study the Bible and get ready to preach. I believe that the trumpet's going to sound soon, that Jesus is coming back. And I want to be a part of what's going on at a local New Testament church. And if it's not this one, if I have to move away and there's a church that I have some disagreements with and a church that's not perfect and a church that I think is off a little bit, if they're preaching the word of God, they believe it's inspired and they're teaching that Jesus is the only way to heaven by grace through faith, not works. I'm going to go try to be a part of it and be a blessing. The answer is not to withdraw. Some people said, well, there's a lot of hypocrites at church. So I stopped going. I go out on my boat every Sunday morning and I can worship God from there. Accurate. There's a lot of hypocrites at church. I'm a hypocrite sometimes. I try not to be, but I'm trying to hold up a perfect, infallible standard of God's holiness in his word and in my flesh and in my sin. I'm going to mess up sometimes. But there's hypocrites at Walmart mcdonald's and taco bell and anywhere else you go we're all sinners and to purposefully look at the word of god when i believe he commanded us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is and say i know the bible teaches that but the churches aren't perfect the churches don't have it all figured out as much as i do i'm just gonna go on the boat and worship god god still loves me yes god still loves you for god loves everyone enough to give jesus to die for them but the question is do we love him and are we gonna seek to obey his word I've said it to people before, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart. I want everyone to come to this church and be welcome. But if there's someone who feels like I just can't be a part of this church because of what's going on and because of some disagreements over the teaching or the operations, I want you to go to another church then. Don't quit. Go somewhere you feel like you can be a part of what's going on and attend and give and encourage and seek to be a part of the work of the church. Church is a good place. Church is a good work. This past week, we went out, we prepared on Wednesday evening, and then we went, went out twice before last Sunday, and we passed out 500 door hanger bags with an invitation to church and a colorful gospel tract in it. And I've tried to tell people, I'm not trying to say that I have a great strategy or a plan to try to get people to come and to try to get people to come to church, but we did that. And then Chris and I knocked doors for a little bit last Sunday morning and tried to, to say we believe Jesus is the only way to heaven and invite people to come and our society is changing and, and people are different and the, str the strategies have to change up sometimes. Plano is a different place than it was 20 years ago. The church neighborhood is a different place than it was 20 years ago. So whether we get to talk to people in person or just to leave something on their door, I, I'm looking at it not as, as a great strategy, thinking I'm going to get a, a great event from it. And I'm not pressuring people to help us. You do what God wants you to do. A lot of people came out and helped us once here or there, but I see it as a duty and a command from the word of God to reach out with the gospel. And I want to obey that however I can physically, in person, in the workplace, on Facebook. There's a lot of ways we can try, but I believe we're called to give the gospel. And we were talking last Wednesday evening 
And I said, of the 500 places we went, there were two or three who were kind of grouchy with us. And uh, unfortunately, Brother Noel and Ronnie, I think, had the person who was the most upset. And he said, do you have a permit? And don't leave anything on my door. And I don't need any of what you're selling. And I said, I was just telling them Wednesday night, the church, we're just trying to take one step at a time, do what God would have us to do. And again, I don't think I have a great strategy, but I believe we're supposed to carry out the gospel. And we're going to go and we're going to try. And after Wednesday night service, was over. Olivia came up to me and I believe about 17 years ago, she came to this church for the first time and got saved at vacation Bible school and, and has been coming off and on ever since. And she said, Pastor Jack, I just want you to know the reason I came to this church 17 years ago was because someone left a tract on my door when I wasn't at home and I had been feeling convicted that I was supposed to go to church. And she said, no other church ever came by and left something on my door, but this one did and it had the gospel on it. And that's why I'm here. And whatever it is we do, let's not make results the end goal. Let's make obeying the word of God our end goal. Years past, I had more opportunity to work with the youth and we picked people up from surrounding areas, Plano and McKinney, and brought people into church and had classes for different age groups. And as I said, I feel like part of it is time moves and changes and the way the Lord leads moves and change. And there's ministries I'd still be willing to attempt if we had a good response from people about us. And if we were able to staff them, I, I appreciate and love and enjoy when families sit together in church. I think that's optimal. But I also see the fact that there's sometimes there's children whose parents don't even know the Lord or who are new in the faith. And it's a blessing to them to have a kid's church time or a youth activity. And I don't really have an agenda. I'm just going to try to let the Lord lead us into what ministry opportunities we have or don't have. But uh, a teenager who is only three years younger than me, his name was Jonathan. And we invited him to church or one of his friends did. And from McKinney, he started coming and, and joining in on the church bus. And, and I was able to take him to Oklahoma City to uh, where Rachel is going to college now to the teen conference time that we had. And he came along and heard a lot of great preaching. And I know that he made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ while he was here at this church. And as happens a lot of times, they stopped coming. Their family moved away, whatever went on been 12 years ago now, I think, since I'd seen him. But within the last three weeks, I got an email from his mom. And she said, we just wanted you to know that we've never forgotten about this church and how we loved our time there. And we always spoke about you. And she said, Jonathan, I used to say that we thought you would make a good pastor someday because you had a lot of compassion and a heart to love people. She said, I just want to ask you to pray for us. She said, Jonathan was only 30 years old. He was sitting parked at a red light. And a drunk driver crossed over and hit him at 80 miles an hour and took his life. And she said, I'm heartbroken and we need prayer. And we asked the church to pray for them. But there's just someone, just a list of names who come in the church, who go out of the church, who we may not think of very often, but who heard the gospel and who profess Jesus Christ as his savior. And whatever happens inside of the heart of someone who professes Christ is ultimately between them and God. Even one of Jesus' 12 disciples wasn't saved and the people around couldn't tell. But the Bible says that when one sinner repents, the angels of heaven rejoice. And to the best of our ability, if someone is sincere and professes Christ with their mouth, then we rejoice as heaven rejoices. 
And I believe that what we're doing here this morning isn't to, just to play games or to be entertained or to pick this as a social club over some other social club we could be at. I believe that this is life and death. I believe that God has called us to carry out the Great Commission. And if we don't preach the word and give the gospel, there's going to be some who God would like to be reached that perhaps are not. I got to move quickly here this morning. I have a ton of scripture that I'm trying to get to, but I recently heard that the median attendance at a Baptist church in America is 70. That's a little bit different than the average, but median basically meaning half of Baptist churches in America will have more than 70 and half will have less. But when you take churches, not just in America, not just Baptists, but all over the world who take a group of 30, 40, 50, 70, 100 people and they preach the gospel and they give to missionaries to go around the world, we may not have a lot. But as we all pitch in and as we all go forward, it makes a difference for eternity. And I believe that if I quit or that if you quit and withdraw from the local New Testament church and pull back and say, I'm just not going to be a part of it and I'm not going to serve God, I'm just one person, I believe it makes a difference. God's work is good. God's way is good. I have some verses here that I don't think I'm going to go all through for sake of time. But first John five, three tells us that the love of God is that we keep his commandments and his commands are not grievous. What God calls us to do is not something we should wear as a burden and put a chip on our shoulder and say, I just suffer for God because I have to go to church because I give because I live for him. No, his, the Bible says the way of transgressors is hard, but the commandments of the Lord are not grievous. Proverbs 10, 22, we said last week, the blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich and he adds no sorrow with it. And I don't believe that you have to turn your back on God and go the world's way to have fun. I don't believe that you have to go out on Friday night and get drunk and commit immorality and do whatever else the world is to have a good time. I believe we can live according to his word and have a great time living for God. But it's not just about us. It's about the eternal work God has called us to do. I, I want to blow through these, but Daniel 1.20, it was said of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that in all of their ways and in all of their counsel, he, that the king found them ten times better than the magicians and astrologers that did not know God. Christ told Peter that if you forsake homes, brethren, or family for the Lord, the end of the verse says you will receive a hundred times more and inherit eternal life. And I believe that God's work is a good work. I believe that God's way is a good way. His heart is good. And we should rejoice that we have opportunity to live for Him and serve Him. And not complain. Number two, God's work will always have opposition. I have a ton of scripture. If you'll bear with me, we'll read a lot through the book of Nehemiah here through on the rest of the book. We see in Nehemiah chapter two, if you have your Bible there in verse number 10, that when Sanballat and Tobiah heard that they had come to rebuild the wall, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. You see, there were people there, as there always will be people, that heard there's something going on. God's people are trying to stir up the work. God's people are here to build for God. And it's not always going to make everyone happy. Those who oppose God will oppose God's people. Those who oppose God will oppose God's work. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 19. As I said, we have a lot of scripture here, if you'll bear with me here and follow along. But when Sanballat 
the Hornite, and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it. They laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? They weren't rebelling against anybody. The king wrote them letters that said they have my approval to go do this work. But they were falsely accused and they were mocked. Verse 20, Then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. I want to point out that Nehemiah answered the enemies. He answered the critics, he stepped up and he said, they are mocking. They are accusing us of things that aren't right. The people who are excited about the work of God are ready to go. The enemies need to be answered and the people need to hear me answer and say, God has called us to do this and you have no part here. You will not stop us from this good work. And as we read throughout the book of Nehemiah, they were a constant problem. They were a constant presence. And I believe that as we seek to build for God, there will be enemies that come against us, that come against the church, that come from without and within. And it's not going to be a one-time deal. It's going to be constant external pressure that we are going to have to continue to stand up for what is right and to go against the opposition that comes in the book of Ezra, God's people were called to rebuild the temple the same way as in Nehemiah, they were called to rebuild the wall. And if you, if you will allow me to just skip over this, Ezra 4, 1 through 5, there was the same way people who heard that they were come to rebuild the wall and the counselors opposed it. They said, you're not going to be able to do it. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the chief fathers of Israel, in verse 3, they stood up and said, you have nothing to do with us to build an house unto God, but we ourselves will build together unto the Lord of Israel as the king had commanded. Ezra 4, 1 through 5, if you want to study that out a little bit later, it was the same deal. The building of the temple, the building of the wall, they had opposition and the people who were leading it had to stand up and to resist. And I believe that the church will have enemies that come from within and from without. Galatians 2, 4 and 5, the Apostle Paul was speaking about people who were infiltrating the church and they were trying to teach you have to be circumcised. You have to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. And he says this, and that because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage to whom we gave place by subjection, know not for one hour that the truth of the gospel might continue within you. Paul said part of the responsibility of the leadership of the New Testament church, being an apostle like he was, or being the position of bishop, elder, or pastor, which we believe refers to the same position, was that they would look out for those who would want to come into the church to teach false doctrine and to put a stop to it and to warn people and to say that is not the doctrine of this church, that is not the doctrine we believe is biblical, and to lovingly, carefully, prayerfully oppose false teaching. The Apostle Paul spoke to the elders at Ephesus in Acts chapter number 20. And he said to the elders of the church, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. 
I don't believe in dictatorships or people being unkind and not working with the church. But he said to the group of people who were called to be the pastors, God has called you to what? To be the overseers, to oversee what is going on. And he said, you're supposed to feed the church of God. That's the teaching and the preaching of the word. Verse 29, for I know this, that after my departing, shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. What he was saying to the pastors of the church was to look out. Wolves from without the flock will look to come in and teach things and do things that are not to the benefit of the flock. He said, even among your own selves, some will turn away and will speak perverse things and will look to draw away disciples after them. Beware of teachers who are looking to get disciples of themselves. I'm not here this morning to try to make you my disciple or my follower, but to try and assist you to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And stories I've heard from personally from people about whether it was a pastor in Arizona that wanted to affect other Baptist churches. People went into that church and started passing out DVDs to the other people of the church and said, this is good stuff. You need to check it out. And it was not a teaching that they had authority to pass out or that the leadership of the church was in agreement with and they had to stop and teach and deal with. We believe this doctrine is not correct. And why that doctrine is not correct. And I told you the story several times, but the church who people began to come in who followed one teacher all, all the way and they, they followed a lot of his teachings and then started pressuring other people within the church to do it. And the pastoral team of that church took a lot of time to lovingly write a position paper and to go line by line, verse by verse, issue by issue, and say you're pressuring your brothers and sisters in Christ to do things that aren't clearly taught within the Word of God. And here's a good example where that verse was not approached in the right way. Articles have been written where people said, if you want to modernize a church, but basically trick all of the older people to not where they don't really know what you're doing. Here's your strategy here. Here's how you should infiltrate it. Here's what you should start to do till eventually you're able to change the church to be what you want it to be. One pastor wrote an article and he was writing and he said, you know, Calvinism is a really complicated, confusing issue. He said, so if you're out there and you're going to candidate for a church, the best way would be don't tell them that you're a Calvinist. Just hide that information. And then when it comes up later, you'll be able to more clearly explain it. And whether it's that issue or something else where there's a lot of disagreement, the problem with that is eventually when it does go down that road, then sometimes the church splits for a lot of people were in there who didn't want that doctrine to begin with. Nehemiah chapter four, let's skip over. I got to move quickly here. Nehemiah chapter four and verse number one, Nehemiah gives a response to the enemies who came from without the church. Nehemiah four, but it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish which are burned? 
Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall break down their stone wall. It was mockery. They were saying, you'll never make it. You'll never be able to complete the work that God has called you to do. And then Nehemiah responds with his prayer. Verse 4, he prays to God. And when you face mockery, when you face opposition, when you face enemies, either personally or within the church, prayer should always be our first response. Hear, O God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity, and cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. There are examples in the Bible of, what's the term for the Psalms where David prays for his enemies to be taken out of the way? imprecatory. That was in my mind, but I wasn't quite sure. Thank you. Where he basically prayed what Nehemiah is praying, let the enemies of God be taken out of the way. And I'll just say that's in the Bible, but I will also caution us to always be extremely careful that our heart is in the right place when we make such a prayer. For the heart of God is that not any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. But Nehemiah and David, and sometimes if we dealt with people and we said, God, there's someone who is out there who is harming children. There's someone out there who is reprobate that is attacking the church. God, please stop them and don't allow them to continue in their wickedness. That's the way I believe they were praying in the Bible. Verse 6, Nehemiah 4. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. They prayed, they buckled down, and now, oh, just like that, half of the wall is done. The enemies aren't ready to quit then. The enemies are still ready to oppose. I know I'm almost out of time, and I have mostly all Scripture here. So as I said, if you can hang with me, we'll wrap this up. Verse 7, But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and all those other people, for time's sake, heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth and conspired all of them to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. First, they mock. Then they slander. Then they see that it's not working and they say, we need to have a meeting. We need to conspire. We need to come up with a plan to go attack the work of God and to hinder it. Verse 9, nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and set a watch against them night and day because of them. Two things they had to do. First of all, they said, we got to pray, but then we got to put into action a practical plan that we do not allow our enemies to come and to resist and to stop the work of God. Verse 15, we skip down to verse 15. The enemies heard that they that God had brought their counsel to naught, and that they returned to the working of the wall. And verse 16 and 17 goes on to tell us that from that time forth, they did a couple of different things. They took half of the people who were building, and they said, we need you to stand outside the wall with your weapons drawn so we can fight if they come. And the rest of you all, Keep on building. Then eventually they took another strategy where they said, those of you who are building, keep one tool in your hand to build and put the other one in your hand, a sword that you're ready to fight. And Charles Spurgeon paper that he produced and wrote articles in was called the sword and the trowel. It was taken from the book of Nehemiah. And we know that we have to keep working. We have to keep building. We have to keep going forward. 
But sometimes we're also going to have to be at the ready to resist and to fight the enemies who would come to attack. Don't stop building. Don't get so distracted that we're taken away from the work of building and going forward. But also don't get so lost in what you're doing that you forget you need to keep your eyes about for the enemies that will resist the work of God and be willing to fight if necessary to keep the good work going. Verse 21 of chapter 4. So we labored in the work and half of them held the spears from the rising of the morning till the stars disappeared. Number three, and we're done. The devil wants to distract us from God's work. The enemies opposed. They came up with all kinds of strategies. Then they were not, when they were not able to stop the good work that God had called them to do, they came up with an alternate plan. They said, what if we were to distract them? from what they were doing. Look at chapter 6 and verse number 1. Now it came to pass when the Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates. Okay, he had built a big wall. Uh, okay, I'm going to try to not get into comedy. I was going to say he built a big, beautiful wall, but at least he left doors in it that could be open and that could be closed. I'm out of time. I need to not get distracted. All they needed to do was put the, the gates on and they would be done. And the enemies have not given up yet. Then Sanballat and Geshem, verse 2, sent unto me saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages of the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. They said we weren't able to stop what he was doing. Now let's see if we can get him to take a break and have a secondary cause and distract him, pull him away from the work under disguise, and then seek to do him harm. Verse 3, And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it? and come down to you. And the devil, when he may not be able to oppose us through any number of distractions, he would like to take a good cause and pull us away from what God has commanded us to do and thereby hinder the main work by giving us another cause to distract us with. The phrase has been used over and over, keep the main thing the main thing. In other words, in the church, don't get pulled aside by social causes and political causes and all types of good things maybe that we could get involved in. But the main work of the church, according to the word of God, is the preaching and teaching of his word and the propagation of the gospel. Good intentions can lead us to failure. Good things can keep us from the best things and good things can keep us from the things which God has clearly commanded us to do. It's a good thing to want to feed the poor and help poor people, but that's not the main commission of the church. I believe it's a good thing to be involved in your the land which you live, to be involved politically, to pray about whom God would have you to vote for and to seek for the candidates who stand upon the word of God and the principles that the Bible teaches and try to vote for them. But politics could distract the church and pull us away from the main thing that God has called us to do, which is to preach and teach his word. And my personal decision is if I was going to go into all kinds of details about policy and politics and politicians who are running, I'm involved in all of that. And I'd be glad to talk to anybody about that. But during the services where the church gather together, I believe what God's called me to do is to open the word of God and to explain it and apply it. 
My personal decision is I wouldn't invite someone, anyone who is running for office to come in during the normally scheduled service times of the church and turn the pulpit over to them to try and get votes. We can do things like that outside of the normal times, maybe to be a blessing to the community, to meet people, to be involved. But I don't believe that church is supposed to be a social club to compete with other social clubs. I believe we have been called to preach and teach the word of God. I got a note last week from the city of Plano giving an invitation that if anyone from our church would like to come be a part of their interfaith day of prayer, and they had plastered all over the front of it, people will pray from a Muslim place and from a Jewish place and from uh, a Hindu and all these other places. And there's just a part of me that's wrestling a little bit with maybe going and trying to pray a prayer and see if it goes viral and God sends some people in who knows there's a church that stands for something. Because you see, sometimes the prayer doesn't need to be a flowery prayer that everybody likes. Sometimes there needs to be a prayer for this, that what's actually going on in our land, that God would end the gender confusion, that God would stop the killing of unborn babies in the womb, that God would grant us repentance to Jesus Christ, who is the only way to salvation and the only true God that there is. But to say, I need to lay aside the work that God, God has called me to do in the church and in my family and go sit down with people of all other faiths and we can just try to establish relationships and get along that could be a distraction from what God has clearly called us to do. Nehemiah said, God's called me to do a great work, and that's what I'm going to do, and I'm not going to stop and come down to where you are. If we could please read some more through chapter 6. I know we're going over time. I'll, I'll keep it straight. Scripture here from out, and then we're dismissed. Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse number 4. Yet after this sort, they sent unto him four different times, and he answered them in the same manner. Then the fifth time they wrote a letter in verse number six, Sanballat had written a, a slanderous letter. And he said, it is reported among the heathen and Gashmuth saith it that thou the Jews think to rebel for which thou buildest a wall that thou mayest be their king. According to these words, more lies. He said, Nehemiah, you're just trying to be king and get out from under the hand of the king. None of those things were true. Verse nine, for they all made us afraid, saying their hand shall be weakened from the work that it be not done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. They were trying to intimidate and bully and cause fear among the people of God so that the work would stop. Verse 10 through 16, I'll read it straight through and then we're done. Afterward came I unto the house of Shimei, the son of Delilah, the son. Oh, boy. The end of the verse, I'm having a hard time with the names. Let us meet together in the house of God, they said to Nehemiah, within the temple. And let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night they will come to slay thee. They set up a trap inside the very temple of God. And they said, people are trying to hurt you. But if you come in here, we'll protect you. Verse 11, and I said, should such a man as I flee and who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And lo, I perceived that God had not sent him, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me for Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. And as Nehemiah said in verse 11 and 12, should such a man as I flee, I'm not going to flee from my enemies just to save my own life. If the opposition comes against us as Christians all the way down the line where they threaten to take our life if we don't stop serving God, we should not 
be afraid, but set our face and say, I'm a child of God and the children of God don't flee. I'm going to obey God and I'm going to value his word more than my own life. Verse 12, and lo, I perceived that God had not sent him. I read that. Verse 13, therefore was he hired that I should be afraid and do so and that and sin and that they might have matter against me for an evil report that they might reproach me. Verse 14, my God, think thou upon Tobiah and Sanballat according to these their words and on the prophetess Nodiah and the rest of the prophets that would have put me in fear. So the wall was finished in the 20 and 5th day of the month Elul in 52 days. They stood the course. They didn't give in to the distractions, to the lies, to the intimidation or the opposition. And the wall was finished. Verse 16, and it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. The good work that God calls us to do when it's accomplished. It's not that glory may come to our name, but that people would know this work was accomplished by our God. Amen. And our God is good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that people would show me compassion for preaching a little long today. That we would apply these scriptures and seek to build and to do the good work that you've called us to do. Let's have a time of prayer now. Miss Karen will come and play. Let's just pray and apply the message however God would have us to in our heart today. May we purpose within our heart to go forward to do what God calls us to do and to build the work, no matter the opposition, no matter the distractions.